Business Executives for National Security welcomes you to Building the Base. Here, thought leaders and practitioners discuss how we can ensure our shared security and prosperity through shaping the future of the national security industrial base. Your hosts are Silicon Valley defense expert Lauren Badula, along with Ben's distinguished fellow and former head of acquisition for the Navy, Marines, and Special Operators, Hondo Gertz. interview today. So we're really excited for this new format. We're all Silicon Valley defense group groupies, if you will, are involved one way or another. And we're here on MIT's campus for the Harvard and MIT National Security Conference, which you all were leaders with last year. This is the second year now. So very excited to have Biz Peabody with us, who's currently a leader at a growth stage company and spent time doing acquisition in the defense industrial base. We've got Cameron McCord with us, who is a founder, still in stealth mode. Excited to hear what you're up to, Cameron, particularly focused in, in the defense sector and then a former naval officer. And then Akil Iyer, who is a venture investor and Marine. So great group with us today. Thank you all for joining. Yeah, it's awesome to have you guys here. And, you know, we've had many guests, I would say, on the back ends of their careers and reflecting on, you know, their thoughts, experiences. But we thought it important to get folks, you know, on the, you know, front or mid part of their careers and and get your views on national security and what brought you into this community and either while serving or after you served and and kind of get your thoughts there. So kind of for our guests, we'll kind of go one by one here, a little bit on your background and, and kind of a little bit how you got to this interesting spot here on the Charles River, talking about, you know, where are we going in the future? Awesome. Thanks so much for having us. This is really exciting. This is Biz, by the way. I think it's it's awesome to be on this podcast just based off of you know, all of the amazing folks that you guys have had on here and everything that you all are doing. My background, I started in the space, as Lauren mentioned, working for a big prime. I was doing contract negotiation for early warning radar programs, which was a great way to kind of get, you know, introduced to the, to the space, but also to see the absolute monster effect that our programs would, you know, have on national security and even just on, you know, overall geopolitics which was really exciting and, and amazing. And I knew that I loved it. And then got over to what you said, Hondo, this side of the river, I guess, or this part of the river. I was a, you know, doing graduate school for policy and for business to try to understand how we could get you know, governments and industry. And when I say industry, I mean all sizes of industry to be able to work together to you know, work towards those missions that I had seen prior, but but really, you know, have everyone start listening to each other and operating on on an even higher level. So that's how I got to early stage side of defense. And it's really rewarding to be able to see not only something grow, but also see the impact that a lot of the, the products that we have ha- have on the national security space, on the warfighter. And like I said, geopolitics is a huge part of every question that we consider. And so it's it's really exciting to see all those things kind of come together. Awesome. Yeah. So this is this is Cameron Hondo. I I wanted to just jump onto the one thing you said in terms of you know being early in, or mid in the career. And I think this podcast is so cool. Many of the folks who've been on before, I think, I'm speaking for all three of us, but have been sources of inspiration, advisors, mentors, sort of like in this 
ecosystem. And it's cool to it's cool to be on now and to kind of be able to talk about that stuff. So, Lauren, you mentioned yeah. So my my I guess you know professional career is it's kind of unfolded really two two big tranches. The first is I think in the public sector. As I said I was I was a naval officer. I get to be in a kind of fun position being here at the MIT and HBS conference. Both of those schools are, are alma maters in one way. So I went to MIT. It's really cool to be back on, on campus. First part of my career was spent being a submarine officer. So being like a true operator in, in the Navy, really embracing like the mentality of doing a lot of incredible things with, in some cases, very limited and, and kind of archaic and outdated technology. It's kind of like the ethos. Spent some time working on Capitol Hill as a congressional you know, Navy liaison, getting to zoom way, way, way back out and just see how kind of all the pieces fit together, which has been really kind of formative. And then the you know second part, I think the last several years, as you alluded to, recently founded a company, has been sort of in pursuit of that mission, but getting some experience at operating companies, some you know, a little investment experience and kind of putting it all together to, to go out and, and do and do something new. But yeah, it's really, it's great to be back here. Okay, thanks, Cameron. Akil Iyer here and Lauren Hondo. Awesome to, to be on this. Echo Cameron's comments. There's a phenomenal group of cross-functional leaders and rising young professionals on, on this podcast. Super fortunate also to be here with Biz and Cam. You know, we thought about doing this conference last year. You know, it's really this wave of interest about the, the nexus of technology and, and national security. So awesome to see this in this rendition here. But we have background of coming from, from the Marines. My, my parents immigrated from India. It was important, but I, I certainly got the, the message from my parents that giving back to the nation that gave them so much was, was, was valued. And for me, that was doing ROTC and, and joining the Marines. Incredible opportunity, experiences, lessons, leading young Marines and, and sailors, which was absolutely incredible. And I think like a lot of veterans towards uh, you know, a couple years in, in my tail end of service, recognized the frustrations that a lot of us had around the technology we were actually using. And you know, store member and probably folks remember looking on public reports and news sources about ISIS using everything from Twitter and social media to drones they bought on the internet to really leverage asymmetric capability against our friends, allies, and, and, and democracies. And so that's me actually, Cam and I first met at Anderol, and it was super exciting as I left the military and before we all went to business school to see what this new wave of, of interest and technology and maturation was. And fortunate now to be working in, in venture capital with the new fund, Shield Capital, focused on this nexus between commercial technology and national security, not going down on exciting domains across autonomy, space, AI, and cyber. So you're all operating at the intersection between government and industry with a real focus on mission, national security. Akhil, you hit on your family's story and how that influenced your passion for getting involved. For me, it was September 11th that really sparked my interest in national security. Cam and Biz, I'm curious your take. Like why, why mission, why national security? Yeah, I think it's, 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 family. it's family for me as well. Maybe a slate different spin, but I come from a, a huge military family, specifically Navy, Navy family, brothers, sisters, uncles, cousins, grandparents. It kind of runs runs in the blood. So I was always raised, I think Akil kinda of, as you mentioned, like raised with this like outward looking lens. And as a little, you know, little kid, I grew up in some ways watching my older uncle, who was retired as a Navy three star and was in command of the Abraham Lincoln Battle Group, watching him, you know, be on TV, like talk about things, being able to go to the Pentagon for you know, his retirement ceremony and stuff. And just as a little kid kind of thinking like the world is so big, it's so complex and thinking about these kind of big, you know, these big focused things. I also, my dad was a physicist. And so I grew up 
as a huge nerd, and I still am a big nerd. And so I think this, this notion of like, you know, defense tech is sort of embracing this idea that these big public purpose problems are incredibly complex. They're hard to wrap your arms around. They're really hard to solve. And the amazing thing about technology, and particularly I'm, I'm now so focused on, you know, software as it can impact kind of like hardware and industrials, is the leverage effect that technology has, right? And I think it is like, it is the only way that we solve these problems and what companies are able to do to sort of like leverage technology and scale their impact is really the only way I see that we kind of, you know, fix a lot of these, these things we need to. And so that's, that's been my inspiration. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't have any immediate, I would say family in the military and I did not serve, but I did have both of my grandfathers were serving in the military, one in the Air Force, one in the Navy. And they, they had amazing you know, effects, I would say, on my family. One grandfather in particular always said to me growing up that you know, service was the most important thing that you could do. What does that mean? You don't necessarily know at any given time. It could, it could, it could formulate it you know, in, in many different ways. He ended up being, he was, a, he was a submariner like Cam, and then, and then he was a politician for the rest of his life. And so he figured that he had done that in a couple of different ways. And so I wasn't really sure how it was going to manifest. I started to work at Raytheon out of college, and I mentioned I was doing early warning radars, and I was shocked at the amount of effect that those programs had. And I, I mentioned geopolitics. I mentioned you know just the, the relationship between the United States and our allies and other countries in the world and what information could do for deterrence and, and all kinds of things. And I felt like it was a service component on a really macro level uh, that I was fascinated by and I had never necessarily considered before. Once I moved to Chile I, where I am now, and everything that we do is making things better for, you know, for service members. How can we help the warfighter? How can we help, you know, on a lot of different levels? And so it's been, it's been, I would say, different aspects of service, I guess, over the years. But as long as you can kind of take what you do and you can apply it to this, you know, macro level service component. I think that was that was kind of what got me into defense. And again, didn't really realize where it was going to manifest itself. But once I entered the space and I could see all the different things that the defense industry can do, I just, you know, it's I, I can't imagine anything being more important at this point. Yeah, it's a great I mean, we, you know, there's lots of ways to contribute. You can contribute in uniform, you can contribute lots of different ways. And so I think sometimes we get a little myopic on what service to the country means. And then the other thing is, you know, we used to say in the special ops world, don't, don't measure your value by proximity to the final objective, mm -hmm. right? There's lots of ways to contribute, even if you aren't the end person who's using that technology. I'm, you know, I'm fascinated and, you know, I've had the chance to watch you guys for a while and, and actually get inspired by the energy and passion, but mostly the network. There's this sense of a growing network of folks, whether they came, you know, wherever they came from, of really kind of banding together kind of at your level, enough experience to have an idea of what you want to do and where the problems are, but enough energy and passion and run room to really make a difference. And this, this conference has been a great example of it. But I'd like to get from, from your perspective, do you see this as, you know, kind of almost a disruptive network of you know, younger professionals just really ready to take things to the next level and maybe not be beholden to the status quo that 
that's existed for the last you know, several decades in our kind of industrial base and the national security space. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, maybe I'll share two, two yeah. stories. One, I think the conference is a reflection of yeah. that, yeah. Uh, yeah. just how much Definitely. interest it's been. And I think when we graduated undergrad even before, it, it was not the cool thing to go into the space. It was Snapchat and, and Facebook. And I think we really saw, really fortunate when we left active service or went to business school to see that, that, that interest. The other story I share, you know, I was super fortunate at the Kennedy School to, to be a teaching assistant for the late, late Ash Carter. Uh, he was absolutely incredible. He founded Defense Innovation. He did so much stuff for the, the innovation base. And I remember going to his state funeral recently, and one of the most amazing things was just how many folks came together for that and how many were still passionate about continuing the legacy, not just of Secretary Ash Carter, but the things he imbibed and the things that he fought for, and that's whether that was defense technologies, the way we think about allies and partnerships, and the way we want to connect the public and private sectors together. Yeah, Akil, I'll, I'll tag onto that. Is I, my mind honestly actually first went to Ash as well, and you, you know him, you know, you know much, much better, but I think the two, the two comments I'd have, one is just an observation, the other is maybe more of a, a hypothesis. I think the first is there's been like, this is really hard to do, this like disruptive innovation world, and I think we're seeing like, the, the rewards of like a lot of things that were kicked off, you know, seven years ago, 10 years ago and beyond all, you know, third offset and DIUX, like these are these early, early concepts that have sort of like trickled through the ecosystem and, and are now like change is happening. It's slower than a lot of people want. It's, it's probably still slower than we need it, you know, to be, but like it's happening. And I think the hypothesis on the network piece, Hondo, is I was reflecting a little bit on it. I think it's because Again, doing this type of work is really difficult and it requires this like incredible amount of cross-functionality to like get results in this sort of defense innovation system. Like you have to understand government relations, appropriations, maybe sometimes investment, like technology, building products, sales. It's a lot for any individual person to, to possibly do at a world-class level, but the network effect I think comes in because people have really leaned into you know, I have this unique experience doing X or Y, but you have this thing doing Z and like we have to work together to sort of share those those experiences. And I think that's happening kind of in this younger network. And it's definitely what I see and feel, you know, being back at the conferences here. I'll just add one thing onto that, which is I think the actual technology too is incredibly revolutionary and the, the national security applicability of this technology is really appealing, I think, to, to to a lot of folks coming out. Like Akil said, when I left undergrad, I think this wasn't really, a, going into national security wasn't really the, the cool, common thing that people were looking at, but but now, you know, and again, I think it is, we're, we're seeing the effects of something that's happened, that happened seven years ago, but the artificial intelligence, quantum, biotech, the types of technology that you can work on with national security you know, applications and that kind of thing, I think gets, a, people, gets people really interested, but it also, people can buy into a mission. And so it's, it's the actual level of technology and it's the mission that comes with it. And I think we're, the four of us maybe are millennials, or if I'm getting that wrong. So I, I agree with you all. I think something we and the Are you saying I'm the old guy? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Now that we've established who's a dinosaur. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Not that the picture would have shown that, but I'm glad you called it out, Lauren. Thank you. Uh, sorry, Honda. <laughs> but I think we are geared towards moving fast, 
creating efficiencies. So silos don't really work for us or make sense to us. Sharing information, collaborating, getting there the, the most effective way as possible. So I think we see that with the network piece. It's like we want a team together. We want to work off of each other's efforts. And I think it's making a difference in, for this issue. And then looking at some of these industries, Hondo and General Votel wrote an article about creating this future industrial network. And it's not just tech, it's not just the defense industrial base, it's also academia. It's, there are so many players in this space. Curious, because you've all sat in all the ones I've mentioned, in investing as well, what can we be doing better to create efficiencies? How, how can we be stronger teams? Any thoughts about building a stronger future industrial network? I think, I. I it sounds kind of maybe maybe trite, but just the creating a network where we can talk to each other and listen to each other more. I think a lot of times, you know, we I, people say this, and at this conference, I've heard a lot of people say it on the panels. You know, we we need to listen more. We need to talk to each other more. But a lot of times, you know, just there's a requirements generation process, and then maybe a company thinks that that they can do it better than the requirements, and maybe a you know. A big company is used to doing some things a certain way. And so there's just, I think a, there's a lot of different languages being spoken all the time. And and I, I continue to be really excited every time, you know, we as an early stage company will, will talk to a prime or go into a program office because I think when we have those actual meetings and we're physically in front of each other, we're not... We're not. We're we're on the same sheet of music. It's just you need to create opportunities for those conversations to happen. And a lot of times, just the way that things are set up, or requirements, or regulation, or whatever, that doesn't always isn't always allowed to happen. Or companies aren't exactly incentivized to let that happen. And so, how do we create the incentives to have a small company work with a big company? How do we create the incentives to have companies? Got any ideas, Biz? <laughs> I mean, I think. As someone who's been at a big company and a small company in this industry, there are, I think it's not always clear that there are, there are pockets in the big companies that are interested in this stuff. And so, you know, they, there's the programs of record, but there's also like the IRAD budget and there's the, you know, advanced programs that no one really knows what's going on. And so how can you get, I think, the more that companies like Shield AI, Anroll, whatever, can go and say, hey, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, hey, let, let's talk at the advanced program level. Let's see what we're doing with our high technology, with our critical technologies, and then create a world where, where we can you know, get a little bit past the, the regulatory piece. I, th I think you could create products that will you know, change the world, and that's definitely things that you know, we want to do. We just got to figure out how to do it. Maybe I'll, I'll echo one thing, especially you know the network piece. Mm -hmm. I think what sometimes makes this community so difficult is we have acronyms and all these things that makes the barrier to entry just to understand what we're talking about super high. So if you're an MIT student who's never dealt with the national security industry at all, but you're really good at machine learning, it's kind of hard to we, we create these barriers via you know more acronym soup than, than anyone can care for, definitely relative to a lot of other industries. And so this to your point, I, I think the partnership too is how do you create some mutual understanding and potentially lower just the, the generic barriers when it comes to and, and we're seeing this right now in, in the in the venture community and certainly amazing engineers who have awesome machine learning applications in enterprise space, but they just don't know how to navigate the DOD space, let alone what the acronyms are. And so we can bridge that gap and get more folks at this conference that come from those backgrounds. I think that'd be great. The second one, maybe kudos to you, Hondo, and, and, and you know, folks who have created organizational innovation. Let's just scale what already works. 
We've had some amazing organizational innovations over the past you know, couple of years, whether it's Softworks that, that, that you helped stand up, Hondo, DIU, these are things that have worked well. Let's scale them and let's, let's actually back them at scale like the adventure community would, find what works from a min viable organization and then be able to leverage it more effectively across the enterprise. Yeah, I think it, I really agree with, with Biz and Akil's points. And I think like, well, on the, on the kind of invoking the network analog again, I think like networks are really good when they're kind of like honed on a central mission or goal. And I think if I see sort of, you know, one thing that needs improvement, it needs sort of like continued iteration on, it's like identifying what that kind of like main goal is. And a lot of that, I, I think it's, both sides are, are kind of big, play into this piece of the puzzle from the DOD side, we often talk about, it, and it's been a theme at the conference here, but like signaling, you know, to industry and to academia and to these people, like what the actual priorities are and where things are, are really needed. So you don't have these incredibly powerful networks. I mean, how do you always say like, this is a people problem first and we have incredible people and we're building really strong networks. But sometimes I think I see these networks inadvertently pulling in different directions, or just, just not being efficient at sort of solving. But, you know, the, the other side of that coin is like knowing what the actual prioritizations are, you know, from the department is, is a big piece of that. So uh, thanks for that shout out of my age, Lauren. I feel good about that. Uh, unfortunately for the three of you, you are now no longer the youngest people in the room either. And you're, you've now kind of moved into that, and you may not realize it yet, inspirational role for others, mentor role for others. You know, part of creating this ecosystem and network is having people being able to see themselves at the next couple of layers up, whether it's you know, just coming through the, the contractor side or through service or through family or whatever that is. What, what are you hearing from the folks you're now mentoring and kind of what's the advice you would give them? Because, you know, there is this sense of service. I, I truly, you know, maybe the current events maybe have accelerated that over the last couple of years. What are you guys telling them? Like, do you say, hey, you ought to get into this. This is exciting, important stuff. Is it, oh my God, let me, you know, be ready for 10 years of pain. You know, what's, what do you say or, or how do you talk to the folks that you're mentoring or inspiring? I'm happy to, I'm happy to jump, jump on that first. It's something that I love, I love doing. And I was just, you know, back on, on MIT's campus again and was, was having a conversation with a veteran who recently transitioned out of the, out of the Navy, you know, had done consulting for two years and was sort of asking exactly this question, like, should I, you know, go into this sort of defense tech world. And I think the things I, I tell people, and this is kind of a, a specifically under a lens of, you know, folks that did, did serve kind of in the military before, it's really two, two pieces of advice. I think there, there has been this, like, a little bit of a fear of being pigeonholed or, like, defined as, like, the government relations or the BD or the, like, you know, defense person. And people that are leaving, you know, service on the one side, like, want to learn about business and building products and technology and other things like that. I sort of, like, just push back on that false dichotomy. I think it's, like, a non-question. And I think it's, if you're interested in this, like, find areas where you're leveraging your past experience and your operational knowledge and your sort of, like, incredible context on the problem set and where it's like a two-way marketplace you can kind of learn i think really rapidly both akil and i you know did that at anderl early in our kind of careers where we leveraged things that we, we learned and learned a lot from the company and i think the other piece that maybe is like you know millennial type thinking lauren in a positive way i think is like rejecting this notion that you need to 
like if you're getting experience in this, I think because it is a place where such like cross-functional skill sets are valuable, don't be afraid to bounce around to three or four places in five years. Like this notion of, you know, just going to a place for kind of like long-term upward mobility stuff, I think is to really like understand this, like be comfortable, go to a high growth startup, like put in a really good 18 month condo. Again, I keep invoking, you know, wisdom from you, but tour of duty, I think it's shorter tours of duty, but like put in a good tour of duty at a company and like learn how products are built and then maybe go do something else where you're learning about how the government kind of affects it to get that like holistic thing. And, and don't worry about, you know, being kind of moving around for those first several years. I have like, I have the non-military yeah. perspective. So I don't, I, well, I don't want a military one. I didn't know if people to jump off the non-military. People, people look up to you, you know, you're, yeah, you're yeah, now, yeah. you're in a major leadership role and a really important totally. company. I can verify biz gets reached out to all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so. yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of coffee. Very caffeinated. Yeah. I mean, so yesterday, again, we're, we're like talking about coming back to school. And so yesterday I was back on HBS campus and I was in a class Tough Tech Ventures, where they did a poll at the beginning of class, if you know if people knew a what you know if they were gonna if they had a job yet about to graduate if they had a job and b what they were looking for if they did not have a job yet, and overwhelming in that class was the response that well folks for the for the people who were still looking for a job the main thing that they were looking for was the mission and values at the company or whatever or company government whatever it might be that that they were looking at and. I mean, I love that because I think, you know, again, is it, is it a millennial thing? Not necessarily, but there's definitely a, the question of millennial, Gen Z, everyone's thinking about broader implications beyond themselves. And I think people are focused on, on mission and values of where they want to work. And if they don't have that in their daily job, then why do you, you want to work there? And so what national security can offer is, you know, the national security industry can offer is, is this amazing kind of focus on the mission and the values, which we've been talking about you know, the, last, the last 20 minutes. But I think you know, folks are starting to realize that. And they may, like you said, kind of, Cameron, be stressed about, you know, what do, do I get pigeonholed? What role am I going to do? Do I have experience in this industry? Not necessarily if, like me, you're not coming out of the military or you don't necessarily have a direct connection to the military. And what I would say to that is, you know, what matters is if you have, if you have that tie to the mission, if you have that tie to the, to the values, and you're okay to, you know, bop around a little bit. You could be, I've been in like five different roles at Shield AI, and that's been great. It's amazing, I get to learn and work with different teams and all kinds of things that have allowed you know, me to see so much of the company and to understand even more about, the, about those values. So I think you know, it's, the, it's the values, it's, it's not necessarily going into one specific role at one specific company. It's, it's kind of an industry-wide phenomenon that folks can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of focus on, on values, and I'm going to go, go back to it sounds cliche, but you know, values are driven by people. Mm-hmm. And it's again so cliche to talk about joining organizations because of the great people that are there and the values that they imbue. I joined, I didn't join Venture, I joined Rod Shaw and Mike Brown, who were two incredible leaders who had done things previously and wanted to wanted to continue that in, in the private sector, and it's been awesome to work with them. It just so happens that it happens to be in venture capital, but it's exciting for that exact reason. The mission matters, the values are absolutely critical to what we're doing as a nation at a time when it's critically important, both in a short term when it comes to the conflict in Ukraine and long term as we think about geopolitical competition to be a part of that. With some awesome people sitting around here is the best part of it. Mm-hmm. 
So you all are extremely high achievers. How do you think about managing stress? How do you balance it all? How, how, are you, how do you stay fresh? The de facto marine answer is to continue to work out, <laughs> which is always a great thing, get outdoors. I think it goes back to, to connecting with, with, with people again, you know, getting, getting a chance to, you know, there are frustrations, Tommy, you brought up, there are frustrations in this job, it's important that we get a chance to talk about it. This is what forums like this are for, both in the conference room and, and offline. It's important to, not everything is, is glorious, not everything's you know, gilded, there are real challenges, but there's, there's opportunity in, in those challenges as long as we're able to connect with people and find ways to, to de-stress both, obviously, via me with working out, but secondly, with, with, with great people to, to, to share the types of issues and challenges you're going through. Yeah, I think I can, I can echo that and I'll give like a funny, a funny counter on one of your points, Gil, but I think... We'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I, Biz and I talk about, at being in similar industries, talk about this type of work stuff a lot for the audience. Biz and I are, Biz and I are dating. And so <laughs> it's, it's, a key, it's a key piece of context. And so we have a funny, like... It's interesting you noted that and she didn't. Yeah. So just yeah, for yeah, the record. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I was waiting to see if she would, yeah. she would say yeah. um, no. Hopefully uh, that'll be true when the podcast comes out. Yeah. 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 We'll see how this answer goes. Yeah. This airs, this airs this week, right? Uh, yeah. No, we, we said like a funny, I do think like in general, you know, talking with people and stuff, on, in our case, like we have kind of a set, set of rule that we'll only like talk about, you know, defense tech and like public purpose problems and what we're doing like for a certain amount of minutes each evening because it would be all, all consuming otherwise. And then I think like on, it's a, it's a little bit of maybe a, a cliche kind of response and stuff, but like, I think it's like, making sure that it's good stress. And I think there's good stress and there's bad stress. And like, if you really love what you're doing and you're really excited by it, like good stress, you know, you can handle much, much more of that when you're just like really excited and, and it's hard work and you're energized by it. But I think I try to check in, especially now, you know, trying to build a company, like check in and make sure like, what's the good stress, what's the bad stress, and kind of how am I thinking about those two things, so. Totally. I, I'm, I'm trying to think if I had, I stress out a lot. So like, how do I think, how do I organize this in my mind? I think that's just, like Cam said, it's all, there's good stress and there's bad stress. And how do you filter for what is what? Like Akil, I really like to work out, even though I'm not a Marine, <laughs> really like to work out, meditate, that kind of thing. There's, I think there's, there's something to be said for kind of removing yourself, which I think is a theme you both talked talked about, but just remove yourself from, or step back from what, what feels to be right in front of you. So I think there's a couple of layers to that. There's, you know, you can only talk about, you know, work for a certain amount of time at home every day. There's also, you know, it's wonderful to have friends in the same industry who understand what you're talking about, who understand the dynamics, and you can kind of bounce ideas off each other, which, which always kind of helps you know, Akil and I wrote our thesis together. <laughs> that was a whole, it was, it was on CFIUS and there was a lot of like, how do we actually chat, tackle this problem? But we're coming from different angles. So it was really, you know, there's a really interesting kind of ability to talk to your, to your friends that way. And then stepping back even more, there's, you know, my parents who aren't in this industry or friends who are not in this industry who are kind of amazed by these by these problems that we tackle or these things that we do and are really helpful to kind of bounce those ideas off of. So I just think, you know, it's back to the people. It's also just back to, you know, in your mind, how do you step back from things? Yeah, I often, I often talk about the difference between good rebels and bad rebels. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the difference between good stress and bad stress, right? So you can be a good rebel, you know, you're mission focused. It's about 
not breaking rules, but changing rules. It's about, you know, inspiring, not, you know, being dis, you know, it's just being always angry. It's about being passionate and not being angry. And, and the three of you, I think, are great examples of good rebels, right? What would you as good rebels say to the dinosaurs here who, who probably overvalue status quo and, and don't understand either what could enable you to be more successful as good rebels or enable us as a nation to move at the speed we need to move at? Because again, it's just human nature you're, you're a victim of the things you grow up in and you tend to, most people tend to overvalue status quo because they don't understand the potential that's out in front of us. What, what would you, as good rebels say of, hey, here are some things, you know, that those in leadership positions could continue to do, you know, whether it's in the VC world or in, in government or in, in these things that would enable you to continue to move at the speed I think we need to move at? I think just immediate answer to that is, and and one of the reasons why I have loved S.H.I.E.L.D. so much is that, you know, functional roles can be, can be useful for, you know, an organization, but not necessarily for being able to move quickly and, and to, and to solve problems. And so I love being at an early stage company where, you know, you're not kind of siloed, which I think a lot of times bigger organizations can can do and so you know yes you may you may work for for i don't know the finance function of a company but actually if you think that there's something wrong over here then you should jump in on that tiger team or you know you can work on any kind of problem that you see if if you see it and and you want to take the initiative what i think that also comes with is you know wanting to to do hard work and and being an environment that allows you to do hard work and allows you to talk, tackle those problems. And so, you know, being like a good rebel is not necessarily being in your role, but trying to kind of go after the things that you see that are wrong that should be fixed. Yeah, I think I, I'm my, my mind went to the kind of tour I did working as a congressional liaison, where I sort of like, was it... A human, a human being, like technology and sort of information conduit to a lot of people might say dinosaurs like on the hill. And so I think like it's interesting. I kind of like developed these really short elevator pitches, things I, you know, I was, I'm not like a, by any means a world expert on, but things like we're talking about machine learning or natural language processing or, you know, cybersecurity or advanced, you know, manufacturing. And would have these conversations, these short conversations with maybe senior staffers or, or members of Congress themselves to just kind of educate. And so I think that's like from the, the maybe older, more established, it's like just being very comfortable and like surrounding yourselves by young rebel, you know, technologist people. And I think like sometimes I saw an article about, you know, some, you know, media kind of pushing back on like members of Congress, like having young people on their staff to kind of do this. And it's like, no, it's, that's exactly what they should, I think should be doing. And the flip side of that is in the, in the good rebel piece. And thank you, Hondo, for that <laughs> compliment. It's like continuing to be really rebellious and having this like strange duality of like incredible respect for the organization, for the Department of Defense, for Congress, like for the mission, but also this like appropriate amount of irreverence, like kind of saying like this, you know, don't take everything for a grain of salt. Like that might've been some things you will learn painfully. Like you're like, oh, actually like there's a reason why this is 
been the way it is for 50 years. But a lot of things I think we're figuring out right now, like actually were maybe the way they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, but like don't act, we need to be. And it's about kind of finding that, that balance. Yeah, Cam, yeah, you're, you're hitting on the fact that it's important to get the ground truth. Yeah. And honestly, we're already in a position where Gen Z, and we're talking about millennials, Gen Z is already different in the way they have mm-hmm. been digitally native and how they're thinking through technology and that ability to, besides all the filtered reports and what comes up to you as a, as a senior leader, being able to still, and I think you know, that's the benefit of coming back out of COVID, is to be able to actually have those ground truth conversations again and then recognize, I think, Cam, to your point is, where that sort of you know irreverent disruption, but in a good way, happens, and, and then how do you empower it as as a leader to do so? Yeah, yeah I was I was taught early on by some irreverent sergeant majors, which is almost <laughs> a redundant statement in itself. But uh, you know, as as a leader, you don't need to be the most innovative person. You don't need to be the most accomplished in one tech talent or skill. You just need to enable those who are to do it at the the max degree they can. And so I think. That's an important thing for everybody to remember as you're going through. It's, it's not that you have to be the genius in AL or ML or some other, you know, you have to create maneuver room, right? And then you need to, you know, have the right balance, you know, we would call it put fan lines, right? Give them left and right limits, right? That are reasonably wide. And then, and then watch folks run as you guys have been doing very successfully. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, thank you, friends, for joining. I think it's inspiring for some of our listeners who are looking for ways to get in and start career paths and, and always love our feedback about who we have on and uh, ideas for action in this space as well. So thank you all. Thank you. So yeah, thank you. Guys. Awesome. You've been listening to Building the Base, a podcast from the Business Executives for National Security. Join hundreds of senior leaders and executives dedicated to the mission of keeping our nation safe. Check out our projects we're currently working with, important upcoming events, and the many ways you can get involved at www.bens.org.